This is the gift of God. And so you see, Christianity is not against pleasure. Christianity is not some moralistic, suffocating religion that seeks to squash any form of joy from your life through commands and regulations, as if God is some sort of cosmic killjoy. But neither is Christianity a liberal free-for-all, allowing and giving permission to indulge in excess, saying desire is the highest goal of your life, that God is just found in what feels good and right, and it's all relative, that God's views on sex and beer and pleasure and popularity, they're outdated. We just have to find the principle and love each other, play nice in the sandpit, and that's going to cut it. And you're going to find God your own way. You see, what Christianity says into both of these views is that both of those approaches to God and pleasure actually come from the same source. They come from the lie that says God does not care about your happiness and that he isn't committed to his own goodness. We can't trust him. You see, God does have commands and rules and precepts. And our aim is to give life and freedom, not to restrict you. And the freedom we crave as people is actually found by not choosing your own adventure, so to speak, but by realizing there's a beautiful, loving rule and care of God, even if it's confronting to hear about that sometimes. And especially today as we think about pleasure and satisfaction, that's important. Because you see, the problem that we have, I think, is not on a daily basis we can't find pleasure. It's just that we're far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis once said in a very famous sermon in 1942 called The Weight of Glory, he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because they cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased far too easily pleased i wonder if that's you this morning you've spent your life being satisfied over and over and over and over again but in reality you're still unsatisfied after all that's why you keep on living the way you do renovating your house your wardrobe your diet or even your car maybe you feel like harry in oscar wilde's the picture of dorian gray who said this A cigarette is the perfect type of a perfect pleasure. It's exquisite, and it leaves you unsatisfied. What more can you want? And you have to say, I I agree. All I've found is this unsatisfying pleasure. Now, this this, this pleasure, this idea that, that pleasure is the highest good in life, that's the proper aim of our existence is to be happy and find pleasure, it's called hedonism. And what it looks like is you avoid anything that's going to take away pleasure, you pursue anything that will increase your pleasure. And all of us can identify with that, can't we? We have a sense that if I experience pleasure, it is good. And if we experience it as good, that it must indeed always be a good thing and something to have again and again. Therefore, if pleasure is good, why can't pleasure be the ultimate good? And if you have only one life to live, why can't you cram as much of it with pleasure as you can? After all, the hashtag YOLO tried to capture that, and more recently, FOMO. But you see, unless your desire is attached to the proper object, you'll only ever enjoy a foretaste of what is on offer. It's like you're at the cinemas and you're just watching previews and you're thinking, this is it, I've made it. I've arrived at the latest Hollywood blockbuster through this two-minute preview. When just a few moments later, the full-scale production is right there. It's right to enjoy the previews, yes? 
but not at the expense of the real thing. And what I think the Christian message holds out to us is exactly that, to align ourselves to the proper object of pleasure and satisfaction, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who redeems, realigns, and reigns over us, so we can find lasting pleasure in him. And so let's explore that in more detail. The path to fullest pleasure, and what I want you to see is that pleasure is found in God. So Psalm 16 is where we're going to, to land. Now Psalm 16, along with um, a few other psalms, is what's known often as a psalm of confidence. It's called that because the author, David in this instance, as it says at the beginning, uh, he asserts trust in God, even though his circumstances are far from favorable. For him, David, it was a physical threat. Most of his life, he was being hunted and chased by physical enemies who were trying to get him. And so threats followed him around. And into that, David says, I have peace, I have joy because of the confidence in God, that God is with me. It was really tough for Catherine at the moment. She was allowed to go home uh, from hospital with her newborn baby a few days uh, after a very long and complicated birth that resulted in an emergency Caesar. She was feeling very sore, very tired, and trying to be the best mum she could be. But their two-year-old isn't coping, just wants mum's attention all of the time. Tears and tantrums plague the family at home, especially at night time. And the husband, Steve, he's really good, he's so loving and caring and always there. But since the horrible birth, Steve has had anxiety and can't function as he normally would to support his family. And so George, their two-year-old, has to spend another few days with the cousins. The whole family is just worn out. And Colin, he's found out his job has been made redundant. The current round of restructuring at work left him feeling anxious, and but he didn't expect to go like so many others had. You know, he's just waiting his turn, thinking, I've survived the last three, why not this one? And he walked out the office with his head down, and he hopped in his car, and he said, how is my bank going to stay in the black? And how am I going to tell my wife? Catherine, Colin, two modern examples of what life would have been like for David as he penned Psalm 16. So he says in verse 1, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. We don't know exactly what David was facing in this particular psalm, but he begins by asking that God would continue to be his guard and protect him, knowing that all the disorientation, refuge will be found in him. You know, it's not a loss of faith to feel that way, to be disorientated, to face hard, painful things. Faith boldly declares God is a refuge while asking for safety and protection at the same time. But you see, far from being a cosmic red bull, God is also his joy and his pleasure as well. He says in verse 2 and 3, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. So David affirms two things, that God is his Lord, that his only good thing is God. And the second is that the holy people around him, they're his delight. And so joy is elusive. David searches for it. But the search takes him to one place and one place only, his Lord, his God. And he associates with those who have the same idea, the same understanding of God as he does. You see, life is transformed when God is a refuge. He is not merely a hiding place, but the very best of all good things. And to be in community with God's people who also profess such faith and trust in Yahweh can be and is a deep joy to our soul. 
just to hear the joy of someone saying, you're not alone, reminding you of God's character. Like for Colin, to know that Jesus was the one who gave up everything, making himself spiritually bankrupt, so he can drive home, face the uncertain future with the one who made him rich in Christ, who secured a life with him that will never decay, never change, never get redundant or end. Now, verse 4, it's, it's really interesting. It sounds a little bit morbid, don't you think? It says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take the name upon my lips. To run, in this instance, is to acquire, to amass, to gain. It's not a race he's talking about. And reflecting on what happens to those who run after other gods, David says they will suffer. Interesting, he says that while he is going through suffering, isn't it? Moreover, if we want to enjoy a long, good, fulfilling life, it's often tempting to run after other gods too. A god being anything that will save us from what we currently face. face. So a god can be an idea or a thing. It could be a person or a process. And that was true in David's life as it is true for us. It was tempting to offer a blood libation. That is, a sacrifice just pouring an animal's blood to that other god, appealing to the god, satisfying that god's anger, appeasing the god. That's what it was. To call on them. Some deity in some way relying on them to say, this one will save me and rescue me and give me my good things. And David looks at others doing it and he says, actually guys, that's not going to deliver what you want it to do. You're asking it to do something it cannot possibly do. And so he says, I will not do that. Because all that would happen is another form of suffering. And suffering has the idea of being debilitated. And I think we know what this means. Uh, psychologist Abraham Tversky, he wrote, once wrote that our culture seems to be committed to a life goal of comfort and pleasure. And while there's nothing wrong with wanting to be comfortable and content, the fact is life is full of stress and even distress. And so when we fix our hearts and the goal of our life on the God of pleasure, we often end up with more stress, more distress, and even disorientating. And finding pleasure is still elusive. And David knew that. Look at verse 5 and 6. So he reminds himself of who God is. Lord, in contrast to the other gods, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places surely i have a delightful inheritance and this is filled with imagery the cup is good things wine abundance joy celebration where is his cup found who is his cup it is the lord and the portion makes us think back to leviticus a book of law how the priest would take the best flour, olive oil, frankincense, burn it up to God, and it will be this wonderful smell, an offering to God, a pleasant aroma. It would smell beautiful. And boundary lines is in pleasant places and a secure lot. This is the picture of land, a place to dwell, blessing, safety, security, all the things you could want in life. And notice what David says, God, it is you. God is a place where David will find his safe place, his inheritance. As if the boundary lines of David's life have fallen well, beautifully, perfectly on God. In all the daily 
daily joys of life, the pleasures of this life, David looks at them and elevates them even higher and says, the true meaning, the true perfection is found in God. As Catherine lies there that night with her circumstances heavy on her heart, she's reminded through a teary face, Jesus, you have made my my lot secure. It's pleasing to be known by you, especially when everything else seems in chaos and confusion. Now, this begs the question, and we're going to detour just for a moment here. Uh, We've alluded to it already, but what about suffering and pain or confusion? Not everyone experiences a perfect life without pain or suffering. Life is well-ordered for some, not others, and it seems to be everyone else, not us at times. Indeed, even David, the author of this psalm, knows all too well when joy eludes him. So do not think this is some wealthy, affluent person who's got it all together, never experienced anything more hard than putting their shoes on the wrong feet type person speaking this. David's life is well documented in Kings and Samuel. And you see his life was hard. He's drunken deeply from the bitter cup of suffering and pain. But he's also seen a fountain deep and everlasting in God alone. And while he's seeking God as a refuge at this moment, he reminds himself of God's character once again. You know, much later in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, we learn of a greater David called Jesus, who gave up his life, crucified, killed, was raised from the dead and willingly allowed that to happen for the joy set before him. Look what it says. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, it wasn't the painful cross that gave Jesus joy in some sadistic way, nor was he naive to the reality of what the cross would mean either. His death was actually gained for you and me. His death means we can face suffering and confusion and even death precisely because of Jesus suffering for you and rising and conquering death, Satan, sin. And so even if our life is one struggle after the other and, and pleasure is elusive, the best is yet to come because our joy is not the experience but found where it originates from. If it is located in him and his character, in being with him in his presence, then our life circumstances are not a barrier to pleasure in God. I, um, I, I don't have trouble sleeping, ever. Um, if I'm stressed, I just want to sleep. And some of you don't like that because you stay awake like my wife. You stay awake at night looking at the ceiling and uh, counting the hours and hearing the clock. And it's four o'clock when she finally does doze off. But for me, if I'm ever stressed or anxious, sleep is never a problem. I, I, I can just sleep like that. Um, I don't feel rested, uh, but I, I can just sleep. And you're David. David knows what that's like. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, I will praise you who counsels me, even at night. Even at night, my heart will instruct me. I'll keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Even at night, though he's gonna, might, might be lying awake, David's not tossing and turning. He's not knocked out with sleep from worry either. Because his heart is filled with the counsel of God. His eyes are fixed on the Lord. In one of the most anxious times of the whole day, nighttime alone, David says, I can praise my Lord in that moment. You know, it it reminds me of when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
in his hour of greatest need ever. And he says to his friends, guys, hey, can you just hang here and pray with me for a minute? Sure, we can do that, Jesus. Fall asleep. Guys, can you pray with me? Just hang here. Sure, we can do it, Jesus. Fall asleep. Third time, guys, what's going on? Oh, sorry, we'll do it this time. No, no, sorry, you missed a chance. But in his hour of greatest, Jesus knows what it's like to have all his friends commit to it and then pull out at last minute. Jesus knows that. And when David's here, he's not meditating into a, to, to nothingness. His mind's fixed and filled on the true God, on the proper object where his satisfaction is found. And his entire body is involved in this too. Notice how it says, heart, eyes, hands, tongue, body, all living securely in the presence of God. And then in verse 9 and 10, we read, my heart is glad. Therefore, sorry, therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Do you know what brings gladness and joy to our heart? It's going to find a way to our lips. It's always the case that when you want to express joy, you share it with others. You just naturally want to share it with someone. If there's no one around, you'll find someone to do it. In fact, that's what fuels a lot of our Instagram posts. But there's more than just the sharing of joy. He's saying, my body dwells secure. And the reason he says that is there are, there's two realities. There's a here and now reality. Um, is glad and, and being rejoices. There's a here and now. I am glad. I am rejoicing. It's an ongoing present reality that God gives us. But body will dwell secure also pictures a future time. For David to say, I can rest secure, looks way beyond here and now to something else, a future, an eternal joy, a security. And in verse 10 explains it more. You will not, why, why? You will not abandon me to the pit, to the realm of the dead, or let your faithful one see decay. And for many of us, actually all of us, death and decay, that's the, that's the future. We're only here temporary. Psalm 103 says our life is like grass in the field. It's here today, gone away tomorrow. Life is going to end suddenly for most of you. And then what? If pleasure is found here, then the Epicurean desire for pleasure and things and stuff will be your highest goal. But if God will not abandon David to the realm of the dead, if decay will not reach him, if he has eternal security and pleasure in God, where there is a future, that changes how he lives. That changes how he thinks about what's going to happen after he dies. Living with God is both a here and now, confident, part of living. You can enjoy God now. And it speaks of a future reality as David looks past here and now to something else, you see? So David says, I'm confident. Verse 1, keep me safe, God, but I'm confident that I'll be okay because I look to and have the Lord with me. Even if I die, that will not stop the pleasure of God in my life. And then in the final verse, verse 11, he says, God, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with the joy of your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand. The path of life is a path at the Lord's right hand where there's refuge and counsel and safety. It's a path that leads joyfully through death. And what's more, there is also another present and future dimension at work here too. You will fill me, he says. Why? Because the present path of life David's walking on. So you see, Psalm 16 reminds us that our confidence comes from having our eyes always on God 
and having him at our right hand. You could literally translate this last verse as delight in your right hand to the end. Delight in your right hand for all eternity to the very end. There is a sense that this never-ending joy pulsates from the very hand of God. And if you think back to verse 8, we're reminded that God is at David's right hand, keeping him stable and fixed on God too. So it's a pleasurable thing to have God at our right hand because his right hand is filled with joy eternal. And that pleasure is God himself. And in this one, we find a pleasure not too shallow, but the Mount Everest of satisfaction. And so the question before you and me then, are you moving towards that pleasure in God? Not in the things that God gives, but in God himself, enjoying God, enjoying Jesus now and forever. And perhaps that's a new way of thinking for some of you. Not just pleasure in the things I have in this life, but actually the pleasure that is in with God. Blaise Pascal is a 16th century philosopher, and he once said, Everyone seeks happiness without without exception. Everyone seeks happiness without exception. Everyone aims at this goal, however different the means they use to attain it. Meaning what's going to make me happy might be different from you and vice versa. They will never make the smallest move, but with all they have towards that goal. Meaning if something brings you joy and satisfaction, you will always move to that with everything you have. And so the question is, out of all the joys that you can seek and search for, is God one of them? But you see, this pathway to life, to joy, to God himself, is a very narrow road. Few will find it. It's open to anyone. Anyone can choose it. But few will get there. Why? Because at first glance, it looks like it's a rival to pleasure. You see, it's not an intellectual problem you and me have with rejecting Jesus. If we were only rational people, and that was it, then the claim that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life will be met with us saying, well, what do we have to do to get on that way, the truth, the life pathway? But it's not like that. We're complex beings. We're emotional. We're artful. We're intelligent, creative. We're moody. We feel and grieve. We express joys and we reason. And we're sinful and rebel, rebels from God. The issue is that we think we've found the mountain of pleasure in being autonomous and being away from God and in you and me deciding what's right and true entertaining any desire and feeling that we like yet there is a maximum pleasure outside of us that exists that's found by giving up the very notion of independence and freedom and it's what we find in the other bible reading and we did get there in the end didn't we matthew 13 44 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field and when a man found it he hid it again and in his joy went and sold all he had and brought that field So in this passage, Jesus speaks and he likens the person who enters the kingdom of heaven, the pathway that David talks about, to a man who sells everything he owns in order to buy a field and in that field there's a treasure that more than compensates for anything he's given up. But notice at first it's a hidden treasure. It isn't at first what it seems in that field. At first glance of Christianity, you may not see the treasure that is God himself. In fact, some of you understand Christianity. Some of you have already given your life, your goals, your ambition to Jesus. But you still don't quite treasure him yet. You bought the field, but you may haven't realized the treasure and the value that Jesus is himself. 
And so the treasure is hidden. So you may have to come back again and again. It's not obvious that God is really what you crave at first. And when you look, actually, Jesus says, what you can find is something worth surrendering all you have to get it. Not begrudgingly. He doesn't say, then when he was begrudgingly sold all he had to get the treasure. It says, in his joy, he sold all the treasure. So just take the greatest pleasure of your life and all your fantasies and then multiply them a thousand. And in that field, in the kingdom of God, you find them realigned, worth giving up even to gain something greater. And so the answer to the question at the start is what's going to bring satisfaction? Is it pleasure? And we must now say, after looking at the Bible, well, yes, pleasure will bring you satisfaction. But not in that glass of Shiraz or finally being married. Only if you find pleasure in Jesus. You know, David, who wrote Psalm 16, he died. His body physically decayed um, back in Jerusalem many years ago. They said, that's his tomb. We can look at it. That's where David, we lay him when he dead, when he was dead. But he died hoping and trusting in God, the God who kept him from death and led him to himself. Many years later, Peter, an eyewitness of Jesus, said David wrote that not just about his own hope and joy, but he spoke about someone greater than him who would actually embody that psalm. He knew David. David knew and saw ahead to a time and spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, the one whom God did not abandon in death, whose body never ever saw decay. That one, he came from the right hand of God, God's very presence, who tasted bitter death and defeat, while joyfully looking forward to the reward of seeing others taste his victory. This other one did not just follow the path to life, but he is himself the path to life. And it is because of the joy of his suffering that David and you and me can say with confidence, my heart is glad and I will dwell secure. You see, the reason David has that confidence and cries out at the start, I hope in you, God, when life is confusing, yet he's still thrilled to bits with God and the pleasure that God is because Jesus gave up all the pleasures of heaven, came down, suffered and died so that true lasting joy can be secured for you and me with him. And that Jesus, he is the treasure in the field who is worth being greedy for, who is worth pursuing and staking all your happiness on because he's able to fulfill and sustain you with eternal pleasure. So I finish with a quote from Jim Carrey. He's a comedian. You've probably heard of him. He says this. Uh, he said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. And so I wonder today, can you say about Jesus that he is the path to life, to joy, your satisfaction What would it look like for you to keep exploring Jesus as the answer? Why don't we pray? Father God, thank you that you know our hearts and minds that were made in your image. Thank you, God, that in your kindness and grace, you you came as Jesus to realign us so that we can see pleasure is not the ultimate goal of life, but you are. And we find our pleasure in you. Jesus, may, may we realign our hearts' desires to you this week. May you give us all the grace and mercy we need to find our satisfaction in you, not in the perfect life, but knowing the perfect God who authored our life. We commit our time to you now in your name. Amen.